This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. Good morning, Park Church. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 116. Again, that's Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, Park Church. How you guys doing? Hey, what's up, Joel? How you doing, brother? So, all right. Check this out. Hi. Oh, hi, online people. Welcome to Park Church Online. Uh, my name is Luke, and I am the new director of student ministry here. I've been here for about uh, two months, and I'm still adjusting, but everyone's been pretty nice to me so far, so that's, that's a good thing. Thank you for being so welcoming to me. Um, so check this out. I am not sure if you guys grew up in the church, but if you did not, understand this, that when the youth pastor comes to teach, it is always a very uh, special occasion because you, it's always a risk. It is always a risk because you never know what this fool might say, right, or what he might do. Uh, sometimes it's, it's good because people will be like, okay, after he speaks, he's like, oh, okay, good. He's nice. He's got a couple jokes here and there. All right, let's, uh, well, let's not fire him yet, okay? But sometimes the youth pastor confirms why he's only allowed to preach like once a year. Like, you know, it's like that Sunday in between like Christmas and New Year's or like Fourth of July or whatever <laughs> type of deal. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm praying that I will do the former and not the latter but uh, we're going to see. We'll see. All right. So anyway, let's uh, dive in to God's word. So uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we've been doing a series, a summer series on the book of Psalms. 
on the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is a book of poetry, a book of music that shows us God's heart. And Psalm 116 is a song that asks a very important question, which is, what do you do when your world falls apart? What do you do when your world falls apart? What do you do when you've lost everything and you've hit rock bottom? What do you do? In this psalm, the writer shares a story of pain, but also of rescue. And it shows us three things. It shows us three things. And here are the three things. Number one, this passage shows us the psalmist's situation. The psalmist's situation. Number two, it shows us God's love for the lowly. And number three, a radical response to that love. A radical response. So number one, the psalmist's situation. Number two, God's love for the lowly. And number three, a radical response. But the main point for today that I hope you see is that because Jesus Christ gave himself for us, we can give our lives to him. Let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would be here in our presence right now, that your Holy Spirit would would be here in our midst. God, we invite you in and we want you to be here. Lord, I confess that I don't know what I'm talking about. This psalm is just so full. There's so many things, and I was like, oh, man, what do I include? What do I exclude? There's just so many amazing things in this psalm. But, God, I just pray that in these next few moments that you'd be speaking through me. Lord, I just pray that the words that come out of my mouth would not be mine, but rather yours instead. And, God, we just ask that you would show us how to respond to your great love for us, how you've saved us, how you've delivered us. Lord, may we be a people that, that, that act, that don't just take what we have and just, I don't know, hide it under a bushel or whatever, but instead, God, may we be a people that respond due to your great love for us. So, God, uh, as we dive into your word right now, uh, we pray that your spirit would be here in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next slide, first point, the psalmist's situation. The psalmist's situation. So in the beginning of the psalm, the writer talks about the situation that he's in, and we learn it's not so good. It is not so good. Let's read verse 3 again. Verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. All right, so check this out. The word here, the word snare here, the word snare is actually a Hebrew word that literally means cords or ropes. Cords or ropes. So here's the imagery. Here's the imagery that the psalmist has given us. Death is personified as a hunter. Death is personified as a hunter with like traps and ropes and nets and cords and that sort of thing. While the psalmist is his prey. The psalmist is his prey. And unfortunately, the psalmist, the prey, is caught in the hunter's trap with no hope of rescue, no hope of deliverance, waiting to be killed. He's just waiting to be killed. So that's the imagery we see. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's a shepherd boy named David. There's a guy named David who is anointed as the king over Israel because the current king, a dude named King Saul, he was garbage, right? He was trash. And so God's like, nope, you're rejected. We're going to, you know, uh, David is going to be your replacement. And so when Saul finds out about this, he gets jealous. He gets jealous. And so what he does is he takes his army and he takes his whole army and he goes to hunt down David to try to murder him. Okay? 
So David, he goes on the run. He goes on the run. And actually, he's on the run for about like 15 years. It's a really long time where he is constantly running for his life. So he's running from like town to town. He, um, he goes into like enemy territory. He hides in caves. He goes all over the place running for his life, trying to survive, just trying to survive. And so when David describes this season of his life in Psalm chapter 18, he uses the exact same words as in verse 3, the exact same words. He says, the snares or the cords or the ropes of death encompassed me. I'm trapped. I can't escape. I'm in a hopeless situation. So just like David, this psalmist was also in a very bleak and desperate situation. But then we notice that while he's in this desperate state, he says something really interesting. He says something really interesting. Let's read verse 11 again. Verse 11. I said in my alarm, all mankind, all mankind are liars. All right. So the psalmist provides insight about himself when he is emotionally messed up, when he's in a bad mind space, when he's all jacked up in a hard situation, he gives insight about himself. The Hebrew word for alarm is literally the word hasty or in haste or to flee in fear. Okay, so hastily. So he hastily said, all men are liars. Everyone's a liar. When he said that, he's admitting that because he was in pain and distress, he said this crazy, whopping generalization. Do you see what's happening here? The writer's pain caused him to make a hasty and unfair generalization. Do you see that? Maybe he told this to his friends. He's like, hey, all of you guys, you're you're all liars. You're all screwed up. Or maybe he said this to like his spouse or his family members. You're a liar. You guys are all liars. Or his friends or, or whoever. Maybe he said it to his loved ones, right? All of you, you're all liars. And so the question is, have any of you ever done this? Have any of you ever done this? Made a crazy and accusatory, unfair generalization because you were upset, when you were upset? Have you ever started a sentence with, all women are blank, or all men are blank, all white people are blank, all black people are blank, all Democrats are blank, all Republicans are blank? Doesn't have a good outcome, right? When you say that stuff, it doesn't have a good outcome. It always actually causes more pain and more suffering. Let me tell you a quick story. So in another life long ago, before I became a youth pastor, uh, I was a police officer. And so let me share with you guys the first murder case that I ever took. Okay, the first murder case. It was outside of a Chuck E. Cheese, which is, by the way, why I never go to Chuck E. Cheese anymore. Uh, It was outside of a Chuck E. Cheese, and basically the story is there was a a woman and her new boyfriend that gets confronted by her ex-boyfriend, okay? So ex-boyfriend comes up, he starts an argument, it escalates, turns into a physical altercation, and unfortunately, the ex-boyfriend had a gun. And so what he did was he pulled out the gun and he shot the new boyfriend, uh, it ended up, it, it was kind of crazy because it was only a 22, but it just went in, did some damage, and damaged some internal organs. And so when we arrived on scene, we tried to resuscitate him, but he was dead on arrival at the hospital. Okay? So murder, right? There was, this was my first murder case. However, when the ex-boyfriend, after he shot the new boyfriend, he fled the scene, right? So he got in his vehicle, he drove away as quick as he could, 
But for some reason, and I don't know if this was Jesus or what, but his license plate fell off his vehicle <laughs> as he was like escaping, okay? So we're like, so we pick it up and we're like, Huh, interesting. So we go to our vehicle. So I go to my vehicle. I run his plate. There's his name. There's his address. And so we drive over. Oh, there's his car. And he was inside his home. And so we arrested him. All right. Here's where it gets interesting. Because when we arrest him, before he's able to give a statement, before he starts talking, before we ask him to, like, hey, what's going on here? He starts shouting and makes a ton of spontaneous statements. Okay? So what he starts saying is, that dude, he was garbage. He was garbage. He was trash. He deserved to be killed. He deserved it. He deserved it. He deserved it. And he kept on repeating that over and over again, that he deserved it. Do you see what happened there? The ex-boyfriend was hurt because his girlfriend left him. So out of the overflow of his pain, he painted this horrible, nasty picture of the new boyfriend. He painted this horrible picture of the new boyfriend with crazy generalizations. He's trash, he's garbage, he's ugly, he's dumb, he's stupid, he's whatever. And that was justification enough for him to kill him. You see that? My first murder case, and, and really many others like it, in fact, actually almost all the calls for service that I ever took as a cop, confirm what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years, which is hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. The Bible calls it sin. And un the unfortunate truth is that since all of us are broken, all of us have dysfunction, all of us have pain, all of us have, have gone through stuff, as a function of that, all of us end up hurting other people. All of us end up sinning against others. And so I believe that God is asking us to recognize that our human condition is bad. Our human condition is a bad one. Not just from the pain or the sin that we bear, but also because of the, sin, of the sin and the pain that we inflict on others. That's our first point. Next slide, second point. God's love for the lowly. God's love for the lowly. Okay, so check this out. The psalmist's situation is super bad, right? It's super bad. But then the story shifts. The story shifts. Let's read verse 4 again. Here's verse 4. Then... I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. In his time of desperation, in his time of despair, he calls on the name of the Lord who rescues him. And we'll talk about this rescue in just a minute, but let's take a note of the names that he did not call on. Let's take a note of the names that he did not call on. He did not call on the name of his best friend. He did not call on the name of his uh, doctor. He didn't call the name on the name of his spouse. He didn't call on the name of his financial consultant or, or his favorite politician or his, his hairstylist or any of those things, right? And this is because when we find ourselves in our lowest point, at our lowest point, none of those people, none of those things that those people provide have the means to truly save us. None of those people have the means to truly save us. Any football fans in the room? Any football fans? Any NFL fans? A couple football fans here? All right, we've got a couple of them. All right, so check this out. I grew up in Philadelphia. I grew up in Philadelphia. So because of that, I am an avid Philadelphia Eagles fan. 
Boo. Yeah, all right. Yeah, thumbs down. I, but I'm an avid Eagles fan. I bleed green because some reason, for some reason, Eagles and green go together. But I bleed green. I'm fiercely loyal to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know their, their, their personnel. I know their coaches. I know their front office. I know the plays that they run and the statistics of their offense and their defense and their special teams. I know all that stuff because I am a fierce and loyal Philadelphia Eagles fan. But as any NFL fan knows, the Philadelphia Eagles are not always a very good team. In fact, they lose a lot. They lose a ton. And so my typical Sunday, not too long ago, kind of looked like this, right? So I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to church, I'd watch the Eagles game, they would lose, and then I would be mad and grumpy for not just the rest of the day, but for the rest of the week, I would be in a bad mood. That was my typical weekly schedule as a Philadelphia Eagles diehard fan. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until one Sunday morning, I was at church with my friends, and I was like, hey, guys, what are you guys doing after church or after this evening? Let's hang out this evening. And they were like, nah, nah, Luke, we're not going to hang out with you. I'm like, why not? I'm pretty cool. I'm pretty nice. Why don't you hang out with me? And they're like, bro, you are a garbage human being after Eagles games. Did you know that? Like, you are garbage. Like, we don't want to be with you because you're always in a bad mood. That's what always happened. And so it, it struck me. It struck me because at that point when my friends kind of jokingly, but, you know, not super jokingly, told me, they showed me that my hope and my joy for the rest of the day and the rest of the week was found in whether or not my football team could take a, a little ball that kind of looks like an almond across this line in the grass better than this other team, a bunch of dudes could get the football across this line in the grass. My joy was found in whether or not my team could do that. It became for me, the Philadelphia Eagles became for me an idol. They became for me an idol because my joy was dependent upon whether or not they won or lost. So please don't get me wrong here because sports are great. Sports are fine and it's not wrong to love your team. However, if your joy like mine was dependent upon whether or not they win, um, especially if you're an Eagles fan, your life is going to be horrible, right? Your life is going to stink. And the same is true for anything in this world that we put our joy in, we put our hope in, that's not God. The same is true for anything in this world. The, our wealth, our love, our, our power, you know, just having power, popularity, friends, family, etc. all those things, none of those things are bad. They're all good, but none of them can effectively save us when the trials of life hit. None of them can support the full weight of our hope. How will our beauty give us hope when we lose a loved one? Or, or how will, will my politics save our marriages? The only one who can bear the full weight of our hope is God himself. He is the only one. And the psalmist reiterates this actually in verse 6. In verse 6. Let's read that again. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. 
throughout the Bible, we see God constantly, constantly favoring the poor, the lowly, the the cast aside, the marginalized. He always favors those people. And why is that? Why is that? I think it might be because the rich and the powerful don't, quote unquote, need God. The rich and the powerful don't need God. Because why do you need God when you have everything else? I can just make him my side hustle because I've got wealth, I got power, I got money, I got friends, I got beauty, I got good health, I've got all these things. So why do I need a God to save me when I don't, I've saved myself pretty much? The rich already have so much, and so they don't need God, and so therefore the rich tend to make him a side hustle or an accessory. This is probably why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom. It's probably also why Jesus told the story of a rich prodigal son who needed to be brought low in Luke chapter 15. Because all of us have the propensity to make good things ultimate things, Uh, This is, making good things ultimate things is idolatry. It's also known as idolatry, right? And so the question is, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your hope? Are you you a simple person like it says here in in verse 6? Or are you a rich person that can rely on everything else first before turning to Jesus? Do we rely on everything else first? May we be a people that find our hope in the things that last, not in the things that fade. All right, next slide, last point. A radical response, a radical response. Okay, so now we get to a really strange part of the passage. The dude's, the psalmist's response to being saved. His response to being saved, sorry. Let's read verses 12. I'm a youth pastor, sorry about that. Verses 12 and 16. Here we go. Oh my goodness. Verse 12. What shall, I render, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Verse 16. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You have loosed my bonds. Okay, so check this out. The Hebrew word here for servant, the Hebrew word here for servant can also be translated either bondservant Bondservant, which means a servant that gets no pay, or slave. A bondservant or slave. If you'll recall, this psalm is part of the Egyptian Hallel. The Egyptian Hallel, which is Psalms 113 to 118. And these are the psalms, these are the songs that were sung at Passover, celebrating how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. So here's the picture, right? Here's the picture. The psalmist is in a bad situation. He's in a bad way, right? And so he's brought low with no way out, and essentially he feels like he is in bondage. He is in slavery. Then, however, God comes in and he frees him from slavery. And we're like, yeah, Jesus, you came in. God, you came in. You saved us. I'm free now. But in the same verse, in verse 16, in the same verse, he becomes a slave again. Do you see that? It's like, yay, you loosed my bonds. You loosed the cords around me. I'm free. Okay, now I'm your slave again. Hooray. Then, on top of that, in verse 15, verse 15 is crazy. 
he suggests that martyrdom or dying for his new master is both precious and good. It's precious and good. And you're like, what? What's going on here? What's he saying here? Um, For those of you that don't know, I am actually a missionary kid. I'm a missionary kid. And so I lived overseas. My parents were missionaries overseas, and their life work was with the underground church in China. And so one of my dad's friends, he was a pastor, and his name was Wang Yi, Wang Yi. And this pastor, bro, he was outspoken. He was a fearless proclaimer of the gospel. But because of that, the communist government did not like him very much. A couple years ago, uh, my dad and Wang Yi, they were both at this, like, I don't know, this, like, training thing to train underground church pastors and that sort of thing. And in the kind of, like, passing time, in between lectures and stuff, the two of them had this conversation, my dad was telling me. And so my dad told me that Wang Yi said to him, hey, do you know what I'm praying for? You know what I'm praying for? My dad's like, what? What are you praying for? And Pastor Wang Yi says, renewed persecution of the Chinese church. Renewed persecution of the Chinese church. And my dad was like, oh, okay. Uh, Why is that? Why are you praying for persecution? And my dad's friend says in reply, because the Chinese church has gotten too soft. We have gotten too soft. We've become too complacent. We've become too rich. We need to learn again how to rely on God and God alone. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. That's crazy to us. This concept of being slaves for God or suffering for God is crazy to us. And I think it's crazy to us for multiple reasons, but one of them is our cultural context, our cultural Western individualistic context. Because in our culture, we epitomize the idea of freedom. We epitomize this idea of freedom, and we just cannot imagine surrendering that. We can't imagine giving up our freedom. It's what our nation, it's what our culture, our society is founded upon. And so please don't get me wrong here, because I am not at all criticizing America. I'm not at all criticizing the freedom that we have in this country, because it is a blessing that we take for granted. It's awesome the fact that we can sing as loudly as we want to and have these large public gatherings without fear of getting arrested like they do in China. They have no fear of that. And so this is a blessing. But as Christians, we need to remember that we're not just freed from this mean English monarch across the ocean, right? That's not the only thing that we're freed from. We've been freed from something much greater, much bigger than just taxation without representation. Let me go back to the story of, uh, of my dad and his friend. In 2018, China, the Chinese government, the communist government, passed a new law, a new, like, religious persecution law that intentionally attacks and persecutes the underground church, unregistered churches with the government, the underground church. And so, my dad's friend, uh, a couple years ago, got arrested and is doing nine years in prison. Nine years in prison. And long story short, the, the, the way they were able to get him, incriminate him, was they arrested all the elders of, of his church, and they low-key tortured them until they signed this document incriminating their pastor uh, for crimes that he didn't commit, right? So by low-key torture, what I mean is they did not allow them to sleep. 
He didn't let them sleep. So every 15 minutes, they'd wake him up, wake him up, wake him up, and hey, sign this document. Hey, sign this document. Hey, you know, everyone's doing it. We'll let you out of prison. We'll let your wife out of prison, all that stuff, right? And, and eventually, one by one, after days and weeks of not getting any sleep and being delirious, every single elder, except one, I think, cracked and signed the document. So their pastor, their friend, their mentor, he got nine years in prison. When the police arrested him, Wang Yi, and told him they'd let him go if he stopped sharing his faith, he replied, when the communist government can save me from death, I'll consider it, but until then, I will follow Jesus and Jesus alone. And so the question is, and the question that I'm asking myself and the question that probably all of us are asking is, how did Pastor Wang Yi, how did he get the strength to surrender his freedom? He had to say goodbye to his family for the next nine years. How do you, he had to surrender his congregation. He had to surrender everything. He actually had a big church. He had like several thousand people attending his church. It was like going really great. But how did he get the strength to give up his freedom for God? And my question is, how do I get there? How in the world do I get there? Let me conclude with the answer. Let's read verse 13 again. Verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus and his disciples sang these very words at the Lord's Supper. They sang these very words, I will lift up the cup of salvation. But we know that just a few hours later, as recorded in Luke chapter 22, Jesus prayed a very different prayer. He prayed, Father, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus was asking for the removal of the cup, he was not talking about the cup of salvation here in verse 13. He wasn't talking about that cup. Because of our sin, none of us deserve the cup of salvation. Instead, we all deserve, unfortunately, the cup of wrath. The cup of wrath. But when Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, he made a trade with us. He offered a, what's called a cosmic exchange with us. He said to us, hey, I will take your cup of wrath and I will give you my cup of salvation. He took the cup of wrath that we deserve, and we took the cup of salvation that he deserves. We received the punishment, or sorry, he received the punishment while we got to go free. And that is the gospel. That is the gospel. The story of how we're more broken, we're more messed up, we're more desperate in our sin than we could ever dare imagine at the same time, we're more loved, we're accepted, and welcomed than we could ever dare hope. And the Bible says that this exchange, this cosmic exchange between wrath and salvation, between Jesus and us, it's available to anyone who ABCs, right? ABC, the idea is A, you admit that you're a sinner, you admit that you're broken, you admit that, man, I'm messed up and I'm in need of a Savior. You be, believe that Jesus is the one that would make this exchange, that he's the one that bore the wrath that we deserved on the cross. We believe that he died and rose again. And see, we choose to follow after him with all of our heart for all of our days. 
ABC, admits believing and choosing. And this is why Christians are able to give up everything and anything for God. Because we can see the depths of our brokenness, yet at the same time we can also see the vastness of God's love for us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the freedom that's been afforded to us in so many different ways, in so many different manners. Lord, on this 4th of July, we, we celebrate the freedom that we have as a country to not be bound by, um, by a foreign dictator, to have religious freedom, the fact that we can sing as loudly as we want to, where our friends, our brothers and sisters in other places in the world, they have to sing your praises and whispers lest they be caught and arrested and worse. God, we want to thank you for that freedom. But Lord, at the same time, we also confess that we take for granted the freedoms that we have specifically through your son, Jesus. Lord, I confess that I, I take you for granted every single day of my life. I confess that I, I, I forget about you, and, and Lord, I, I just keep to myself sometimes, and, and I just don't have, I don't know, Lord, I, I just don't realize the fact that I'm a person that needed to be rescued because p- perhaps sometimes I just think that I'm, I'm rich and I'm not simple, that I think that I, 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 I can do it myself. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and Lord, I pray that you'd forgive that pride in my heart, forgive that pride in our hearts, that the fact that we think that we can do it on our own. Forgive us for that, Lord. But God, we just pray that we would be a people that respond appropriately to your great love for us. The fact that you would give everything. You gave everything for us, Jesus. The fact that, that you loved us more than life, that you would give your life for us, even when we were your enemies, even when we despised you and hated you. And, and, and even though we still take you for granted, even to this day, even the fact that you know, we're supposed to be living sacrifices, and, and crawl, but we crawl off the altar and we try and sit on the throne of our own hearts and our own lives all the time. God, I do that all the time. I pray that you'd forgive me for that. I pray that you'd forgive us for that. But Lord, we pray that in this moment now, and just in this brief moment, you would remind us of your goodness and your great love for us, your rescue, your deliverance. And, and in return, we, we, would, we would respond appropriately given what you've done for us. So, Lord, we just pray that, again, you would continue to inhabit this time as we continue in worship our response, as we share in the Lord's table together. Lord, we pray that you would be here in these next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Heart Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Heart Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at partchurch.org. Peace and love.